0: Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Thank you for joining us for this conversation.
1: Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HitrustAlliance.net. CrowdSec, the collaborative and open-source cybersecurity solution analyze behaviors, respond to attacks, and share signals across the community for free. Let's make the internet safer together. Learn more at crowdsec.net.
0: Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impact of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. Modern application
1: development needs modern application security. With our award-winning application security testing solutions, Checkmarks enables developers to securely accelerate their work. Learn more at checkmarks.com. AppViewX is trusted by the world's leading global organizations to reduce risk, ensure compliance, and increase visibility through machine identity management and application infrastructure security and orchestration. Learn more at appviewx.com. Marco.
2: Sean, can you hear me now? No. Can you hear me now? No.
3: Can you see me now?
2: <laughs> I can see you. But <laughs> you just can't hear me. I'm, I'm, I'm reading your. Uh, well, actually, of course I can hear you. I was answering. So <laughs> <I'd> say no. <laughs> so I don't know how well prepared this joke was. Do you but, hear me? Uh,
3: just you choose to
2: not listen to me. That's I so. just pretended. I wasn't sure it was you.
3: Oh, that's, there's always that. And is it me live or is this a recording of me or is it? maybe
2: the maybe you're out. using a synthesizers or some artificial intelligence. I'm, I'm, how do typing,
3: I, uh, I'm typing this right now.
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> how do I know that you is you? That's the big question. A yes. lot of a lot of time a question in cybersecurity.
3: Well, let's, let's verify that I am who I am with my voice. That, that that'll go well. Can it be done? I, can, I know there's some services that do it, but I don't know. I don't know how well it works. I use one of those services, and uh, I don't know. It's always sketchy when I when I uh, actually answer to prove I am who I am. But anyway,
2: well, but, I'll tell you what. As right. usual, we don't know much. Exactly. We know something, not much about everything. Enough to be dangerous. Enough, enough to enough.
3: enough to spew words that mean nothing many times.
2: <laughs> enough to have a conversation, to, and enough to have this conversation, which is one. More on the road to RSA Conference 2022. We had a few by now, and uh, this is going to be something uh, a little different, I think, from from the other we had so far.
3: Absolutely, and it, it's, it's a topic uh, many may not know. We scour the uh, the sessions to look for interesting topics and interesting people, and. This one covers both. (laughs) Uh, Topic, speech recognition, voice services, the value of that, where that technology is headed, but most importantly, how it's used for security and potentially uh, adds risk to technologies that uh, have issues with security then because of it. And Rebecca Kleinberger was kind enough to join us. She's a panelist on the session uh, that's talking about this. Can you hear me now? I think uh, I'm trying to remember what the name of that was. Yeah, can you hear me now? Funny enough, I used that joke to, to start this off. Um, and she's going to share with us uh, a bit about this topic. And I, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be listening intently to the words from Rebecca. Rebecca, thanks for joining.
4: Thanks for having me.
3: And before we kick it off, uh Let's hear who Rebecca is. What have you been up to, a little background on on you and your role and the work you do uh, with MIT and and beyond?
4: Sure. So I'm I'm a voice expert and researcher at MIT. I'm also an academic liaison for Harmon International. So I operate between university research and industry needs. And my expertise is on voice technology, specifically those that go beyond words. I don't study what we say, but how we say it, and all the individuality and uniqueness of your own voice. I even look at the relationships we have with our own voices and the voices of others. I recently finished my PhD from MIT on the future of voice technology beyond words, and that include a lot of different things. That include um, paralinguistic, biometrics, health and mental health assessments, and interventions based on voice. So I build interventions in the context of assistive technology around stuttering and aphasia uh, for group emotional intelligence, tools to make us aware of who talks most during things, also around the neurology of the voice to understand the neural basis of voice production, but also to access the inner voice, this little voice in our head. Um, And for instance, to create technologies for people with schizophrenia, auditory hallucinations. And finally, I also work on interspecies vocal interactions. So I deploy interfaces for animals in zoos and in the wild, but that's a different topic.
3: Oh my goodness. For... <laughs> right, Mark Marco and I need that for each other, I think.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Especially when, when English is not your first language. And that's but, right. you know, I I can uh I can't relate to that, uh, a good translator would, would be good. But okay, so this is gonna be really, really tough for me to keep it on track because just with your presentation, I have a, a farfillion, and, and that's that's the word I'm gonna use, of questions and I wanna know, I'm curious. So let me, let me try to, to focus and Sean is gonna help me to do that. This is of course, focused, on your presentation, your panel at RSA Conference. So um, the, the connection with security and the biometrics that we use for identity. And as Sean kind of mentioned at the beginning, I, I have a couple of services that I use. And they say, hey, do you want us to use your voice to access your account? And I'm like, eh, I don't know, let me think about it. I mean, you're already using my face anyway. So tell us about the connection with all you do with security, and then we're going to go from there.
4: Excellent. Yeah, so for RSA, I'm really excited to give this panel with uh, Lisa Lee from Microsoft and Jeremy Grant from uh, Venable on the topic of security implication of voice as a new keyboard. Um, and we will discuss various challenges and implication of various uh, new machine learning advances in voice biometrics. So what what do we mean by voice biometrics? Well, it's really the use of the human voice to uniquely identify biological characteristics in the voice. And that can include authentication of individual. And compared to passwords or different tokens, that doesn't require any physical input. Um, and there are various popular cases, uh, use cases of biometrics in security. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, again, I, I really focus on the voice biometrics, um, but, but there's a lot of different um, ways to think about biometrics. Um, but when I think of voice biometrics, I start by thinking, what is it that we as humans can detect from someone else's voice? What are those elements, markers, parameters that are present in the voice when we talk? So when we're talking, of course, there is this notion of speaker identification. You can identify who is talking. And with machine learning, we call that also diarization, to know who is saying what. Uh, So even if it's it's your first time meeting someone, uh, you get a sense of their age, their gender, or at least their hormonal identity, their accent, where they're from. Um, And as a company, even if you don't have a user in your database, you can still learn some of those things from their voice. And biometrics really goes beyond identification of people. It can also predict a lot of things about, for example, someone's health. You can detect special diseases, heart disease, lung disease, from the voice. You can detect if someone is drunk, someone has been smoking, someone is depressed. Um, there's a whole field of mental health Um and health monitoring through the voice. Uh, and there are big discussion around even predicting things like autism spectrum disorder, dementia, or Parkinson, just from the voice. And there are so I, many things. Oh, yeah, go ahead.
3: I was, I'm going to pause you there, and I, I know you have much more to say, but I want to I want to take this moment because we we started with biometrics, and then you start to present these use cases that, in my, my view, uh, being the technical guy, starts creating massive amounts of metadata (laughs) that define whoever is saying the words. And so in the right setting used ethically and morally in the right way, I can see tremendous value in the healthcare space, as you mentioned, um, to help identify problems and, and perhaps even find the right treatment for specific problems. But I'm just wondering with most things, if, if you don't think about the security implication, the more specific the privacy implications here, How is how does this data get created, collected, stored? Perhaps I don't know if you have any insight into how it maybe is shared as well. Um, that That creates an issue for people like me who now have my voice being used for authentication biometrics purposes, but there's a lot of metadata in there that, uh, along with, I'll just say, the financial so along with my financial information comes who I am and how I'm feeling and if I'm sick or not.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I really see two aspects in your question. The first one, this notion of the metadata present in the voice, the, the voice is really packed with information. It's a simple signal that you can record, doesn't take that much space, <laughs> but is packed with information. And if you start unpacking it, that's when you create those data. But those data are basically there. And we can come back later in this notion of what is even a voice print. Voice print starts appearing in some laws and regulation, and we start seeing it in, in trial and class action cases where um, people use this word but don't really know what it means and, and what's the minimum requirement. In terms of data that you need to create a voice print. Um, And then, in terms of how is a voice used, how is a voice um, uh, stored, uh, well, it's really hard to answer this question because for now, there's not much regulation in the US. Um, of course, we can talk a bit about GDPR and about the, the laws in, in Illinois, which is one of the only states for now who has some regulation around this. We can talk about BIPA. Um, and I think more states are going to look at Illinois for inspiration to start regulating because right now there's no really not much regulation on what companies can do and are doing
2: so can you give, before we dig a little deeper into the use of voice, other example of the use of biometrics, um, other kind of biometrics? Because, I mean, I just recently came back from Europe, and uh, I'm pretty sure I didn't give the okay to use my face to enter the airplane, but they did, and that could be just an episode on its own. But the point is, there is that, there's fingerprint that's been around for a long time, so... Give us some example of where is used and where you could rise an alert, like is this an issue or not? Should we think about it before we go there?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So there are various use cases um, that that somehow relate to to security, and I can also talk about some that don't relate to security. But in terms of security. Um, Contact centers, fraud detection, financial services, a lot of banks are very interested in using the voice. Um, Most of them, I think, right now use the voice um, in kind of a multimodal fashion. So people are going to try to identify who is speaking, not only from voice beyond words, but from words plus voice beyond words. So it's by combining those elements, and sometimes even with with facial recognition, people are going to use biometrics. but even in terms of digital signature, um, people use a voice. Another interesting case is forensic voice recognition and criminal investigation. So there are some, some companies, um, like Nisho now in Nuance and Morphos, that was Saffron and now um Idemia are, um, are are pretty big in, in those topics. Um and, and there are various companies that that sell those services, um, always with, with a slightly different um tweak to, to the technology. But uh, in terms of security, those are some of the ones that I can think of.
3: And uh, so too many questions to pick from. And I, and I usually try to pile them on and give you one big multi-question question. I'm not going to do that. Um, so I'm, I'm going to stick with this one. Is, in your view, the, the technologies driving voice recognition and capture and analysis and all that being developed for industries that are i'll just say money making high profit industries um, and then it's being applied for use in biometrics and authentication or do you see these technologies being built for biometrics and authentication we're both
4: uh, that, that's a, that's an interesting question, and for that, I'm I'm actually really glad to be operating between academia and industry because it's seen as a I think those are very complementary um, world, that especially when it comes to biometrics, there's some very interesting cutting edge work done in uh, academia, both in terms of uh, prediction, but in terms of um, mitigating risks, and um, and and bring more um, agency to the users. Um, and even trying to make technology to fool uh, the the best algorithms that we have to see how people can protect themselves um, from some user voice biometrics. And in industry, I think I, I see a bit of both. I think some companies are, are really careful of how they use those um, those those data. Um, and um, some companies uh, it's really opaque the way they work. So so we can go. Uh, detail into in some of those but we um i think those comes down to uh, really understanding the type of challenges and the potential security risk um that that comes along with biometrics
2: and how about the advanced technology that you, you use to make these more reliable but then there is the bad guys that are using the same technology to make it unreliable so i'm thinking deep fake i'm thinking recreating even in the movie industry uh, people that are dead and you recreate not only their 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 appearance but the voice seems actually easier so how how is that bottle between good and evil the never-ending bottle is going right now with biometrics oh
4: i i don't know if i if i want to Pick a side there, or, <laughs> or really uh, have to have to be in the middle of those two. Um, I tend to look at it in terms of what are the interesting challenges for the industry to implement and to use some of those technology that that are starting to be really good and that are going to get better and better in the future. And I think uh, this notion of reliability is is definitely one of them. I tend to think of those challenges in terms of reliability, legal issues, and trust. If you go into reliability, um, there's really this notion of how good your system is. Um, And if what you're trying to do is detect who is talking, well, you have really two two possible issues here is um, false positive and false negative. So false positive is when someone is trying to imitate the real user's voice or, as you mentioned earlier, playing a recording of a voice to try to fool a system. Um, We also talk about dolphin attacks. Where, where you can actually uh, play with frequencies to actually um, trigger or, or control someone else's Alexa or, or, or Siri system. Um, and those are very interesting. Personally, I'm more interested in the false negative, the case of false negative, where you have the right person in front of you, but your system is not able to recognize it. And that can come for different reasons. Uh, one of them is maybe there's lots of background noise. Uh, Or the network communication is bad. Uh, But but I think one that, that we would all benefit in better understanding is it's actually because your voice change. And people's bodies do not remain static during their life. And that has a huge impact on voice biometric system reliability. And most of those changes happen during puberty. I think a lot of us are, are familiar with that. Um, and, and it's actually a, a very common uh, fail case for a lot of those biometric systems. They're not able to recognize uh, when the voice is changing um, during during puberty. That doesn't match voice, fo- uh, voice prints anymore. Um, and in terms of those voice changes, some of them are uh, slow, and some of them are fast. There are some fast changes, like related to hormone, So your voice box is packed with hormone receptors. So evolutionarily, we really evolved um, to be able to communicate a lot of elements about our sexual identity, sexual um, readiness, uh, far away just with our voice. And in my, in my research on animals, we also detect that. Panda voices, you can detect their hormone level. Um, but it's kind of the same with humans. Um, So elements like puberty, postpartum, gender transition, all of that affect the reliability of voice biometrics. COVID-19 changes the voice quite a bit and might also um, create create important uh, false negative cases. But there are also slow changes of voice change as we age. We call that the aging voice syndrome or presbyphonia. Or if you're a smoker, or if you have diseases, and uh, I think it's quite important for both uh, industry and and academic uh, work to really take into consideration the way the voice change, um, in in how we build our model.
3: And I'm wondering. Um. So I, I was I was dreaming of using your your uh, species translator to allow my dog to authenticate as me. To do some financial transactions, I'm joking a little bit there, but I guess just wondering. Going back to, there's for the purposes of granting access to something is one thing, but then there's also monitoring what someone does. Uh, fraud is a good example, right? Was it you that actually made that purchase at that shop? Did you speak into the the? Uh, the point of sale system as you swiped your card or tapped your watch. Um, was that really you? And I can think when you get into kind of the business setting, um, who made that change to uh, to that critical server or uh, who made that wire transfer. So attribution. Um, so not preventing you from doing something, but authenticating that you are you while you're doing something. And how reliable is that?
4: It- that's a very good question. And I, I actually do think that this notion of the fact that our voice change, our voice is different for every person we talk to, our voice is different in the morning and in the evening. Those changes, as I said, could cause false negative, but they might actually help make our system more reliable. How can I be sure that, you know, there are, there are very, we can go in detail, but there are very different uh, types of, of voice biometric recognition. Some of them, the company asks you to to, to repeat a specific sentence or read a text. Um, so it's kind of active voice recognition and you kind of have a passive system where um, it's happening in the background. Um, but if if you really want to detect who's talking, knowing the way their voice changes in a different situation and help you make sure that you're not, that someone is playing a recording or that's actually the person talking at, at the right, at that moment, that Bring you a lot of um, a lot of context information. So, you know, if if I have recording of your voice ten years ago, and if the recordings that I, if the voice that I have now is mm. exactly the same, maybe it's actually not you. Maybe that's someone trying to use those previous recording. If I take into consideration this kind of arc of change of the voice, that might also help me get a a more holistic idea. A
3: of- long time to monitor and look for changes there. Um- I could talk to you for hours. I think we will at some point uh, on this topic at many different levels. But I want to shift directly to your session, and uh, I think uh, no, no thinking. It's going to be an int- very interesting conversation because you have two additional perspectives, and uh, with your with your co panelists there. So I'm wondering if you can kind of tease out a little bit what you think that conversation might entail. Don't give anything away, of course. Um, But but what are some of the things you think uh, the three of you will get into uh, while you're there on stage next week?
4: Absolutely. So uh, a lot of the perspectives that I'm bringing is this holistic understanding of what is present in the voice and what our machine learning system are now able to detect or will in a few years be able to detect. And that comes with a broader question that. Even researchers don't exactly know how the voice works. There's still a lot that we have to understand about the voice. And that makes it tricky because then if I have a recording today of something, what does that mean about what machines can do tomorrow that I have no idea they can do? Um and then my co panelists bring very interesting uh, industry expertise. Um, and, and we're going to talk about a few aspects. One of them is a legal aspect of voice as biometrics. Um, so there is really this rise in biometric litigation these days. So we're going to talk about, about BIPA what does that mean in Illinois today? Um, and what does that mean uh, in the future? Um, what elements in there might likely be uh, adopted by other states or not. Um, and how can company company um, really prepare themselves for, for um, uh, a legal and ethical use of the voice and create a full pipeline of, of data use. Um, we're going to talk a little bit also about about user trust. How do you gain user trust? And I think this notion of false positive and false negative are quite important. Um, because if, you're, if your user better understand what happened when it works, what happened when it doesn't work, that might also help. Specifically because that touches a lot of important societal questions right now. Um, the risk of failure case are disproportionately affecting minorities that uh, for which we have fewer data used in the training phase. And even atypical voices, for example, people who stutter. Um, so how do we bring transparency and understanding around those questions, um, and what are different approaches that that we can take to better understand and address security risks in biometrics.
3: Nice, and I, I I don't want you to give anything away, so you can say I'm not not answering this question. But there's a there's a description part of the description that I have to ask about silent speech recognition.
2: <laughs> I was gonna go there. I
3: don't know. You. Do you want to answer what that is or will you answer that in the session and we'll let everybody figure it out then?
4: Oh, I, I can give a, a teaser. Okay. <laughs> so, um, and, and, and we're going to talk about that more with my uh, co-panelists too, but I, I do a lot of work on, on inner voice. Um, and, and inner voice is really interesting because um, it's been really studied more in terms of uh, extreme case of auditory hallucination and schizophrenia but most of us have experiences of the inner voice on a daily basis when you read the text silently or when you have a song stuck in your head or when you rehearse for a talk your auditory cortex is actually active so you literally have a voice in your head talking um and I've done quite a bit of work at, at MIT with the neurology department to, to try to better understand the neural basis of this type of experiences. And can we um, access them one way or another, um, access them to better understand the mind, access them to help individual, for example, with hallucination or with toxic inner dialogues. Uh, but there are also ways that we can think of them in terms of biometrics. Some people have done interesting work. Um, so one thing, to understand that there are many types of inner voices uh, and, and it, there are lo- wide variability between people. Um, but you can also use your inner voice in a way that's almost exteriorized. Um, one of them is the concept of mouthing, where you don't produce any sound, but you, but you still activate some of your muscles. Um, and, and you can also, um, there are a lot of different degrees of activating uh, deep muscles uh, when, when activating your inner voice. And those seem to be some that we can access. So Some people have done interesting work in terms of wearables uh, that can uh, detect your inner voice. But those are, those are a proactive, conscious elements. We can't really go and pick up your inner voice without your consent so far. Uh, but this might be something to think about in the future.
2: I'm speechless. Super fascinating. <laughs> I'm speechless. speechless. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm going to be Sean here even if I have One my more. own voice. One more question, please. Yeah. Uh, I, I like for you and and this is of course the invitation to come back and and go much much deeper into uh, other aspects that are not necessarily related to cybersecurity but for the cybersecurity if you could maybe give me a, a A look into the future, right? Because I can see, you know, all the Mad Max movies and the Terminators and all the sci-fi Star Wars in my head, where there's no way that we can hide ourselves anymore, right? I mean, you're not gonna be off the grid. You got the voice, you got movement, the way that your heartbeat can be used to recognize you. I mean, I was reading an article about this. Give me a prediction for I don't know where are we going with this thing. Is is a, a little philosophical perspective, maybe if you if you will.
4: You want an optimistic one or a pessimist? <laughs> you can
2: go as dystopian Utopia. or utopian as you like. There's, go for it.
4: Well, let's see. there, there are kind of two two directions. One is, um, and I think we're, we're going to go a little bit in, in between those two. One is around um, really laws and, and understanding the law and to what extent governments and states are going to put their fist on the table and and start implementing some some important regulations. Um, and I think those, even, even for, for big companies, those will be welcome because they will ha- help guide to use of those technology and they'll help make pipeline more more understandable and 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 bring more user trust. Um, if you want to see if there were no regulation, how far can we go in in using the voice to to not only detect and find you anywhere you are, but but even to to access your mind or access some really pretty deep and and subconscious element of the voice. So another uh, topic that i am really interested in and I'm I'm pushing research on this topic is around voice modulation technology to affect the brain. Um, So this idea that the way you hear your own voice um, affects a lot of uh, what's happening in your brain subconsciously. So, And and for most of of, um, human evolution, that makes a lot of sense because you get a sense of the echoes if you're in a small room in a big room, you get a sense of your own state, and you can react to it. But what happens when we can start using technologies to affect the way people hear their own voice? And one very basic way that it happens today is with noise cancellation. When you wear a noise-canceling headphones, you um, your voice is slightly, ever so slightly different from what it should be, the way you hear your voice. Um, and we think that, oh, maybe it doesn't change anything. But for example, it seemed to help people who stutter become more fluent. It seemed to be even able to change some aspect of your mood and your mental state. So I've been working with, with different collaborators in, in, in create, creating other ways to modulate the way we hear our voice to try to amplify some of those effects, whether it is helping people who stutter, whether it is making people stutter more, or making fluent people. Start stuttering? Or can we change people's, uh, can we help people with emotion regulation by changing their voice ever so slightly? So you could imagine if tomorrow um, companies that make headphones want to start implementing some of those elements, or if whatever software you're interacting with is uh, getting access to your earphones and changing the way you hear your own voice, that could very subconsciously change your state, make you more likely to buy things um, or, or a lot of different applications around that.
2: Wow. <laughs> Wondering how that applies with someone that for the last two years like us been w- looking at ourselves in the video, <laughs> and listening to our own voice, recording a ton of podcasts, then editing that stuff. And uh, I, how is that affecting I know. For I you, think...
4: e- everyone has access to a lot of recording of your voice. So... Oh, yeah.
2: I wasn't even going to go there, but yeah.
4: Good quality one.
2: <laughs> probably, probably. Well, you know, a lot to think about. Exciting presentation at RSA for sure. And uh, so many places I could go with this. I mean, reading the mind, you got me right there. I want to talk about that uh, some more. Well, Sean. I, I, want,
3: I want people to hear me differently. I, I want to spread voice morphing
4: voice morphing is a big and, very and, and, interesting and
3: positivity so when my voice comes out that's what I want to portray even if it doesn't
4: there's, <laughs> there's a fun but, application uh, outside the security domain but yeah yes. voice morphing for video game for call centers oh, yeah. for podcasts nice
2: for singing I mean all those auto tuner okay. I don't want to go there
3: that's that's changing my voice coming out right Or 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 does it change it going in that's the
2: Oh, That's the inner would, voice.
3: Yeah. No, not my own inner voice. I had that question too, but just not changing my voice coming out, but changing how people hear it on the yeah. other side. I don't know. Anyway, we, we can go talking, all really? over the all over <laughs> the place. Um this is uh, stumped me a bit. I mean there's so much they dig into we can't do it now. Um we're out of time it would take it take us too far off uh the the original point of this which is to share that there's an amazing session that uh rebecca's on with two co-panelists it's called can you hear me now security implications of voice as a new keyboard that's on thursday june 9th at 10 50 in moscone center uh obviously pacific time if you're going to be there um yeah, I can only imagine what the three of you are going to get into. I mean, you, you, you teased us a little bit, but uh, it's going to be different hearing the, from hearing the tease to actually absorbing what you say. And everybody's going to have their own thoughts and views and perspectives, I think. So you, you, that session is going to impact a lot of people in many different ways, I think. And uh, super fascinating. And, and Rebecca, thank you for joining us for this conversation of Chats on the Road to uh, RSA Conference 2022.
4: Thank you so much for
2: having me.
3: Marco, that's the silent voice saying peace
1: out.
2: Yeah, because I'm mute.
1: <laughs> AppViewX X is trusted by the world's leading global organizations to reduce risk, ensure compliance, and increase visibility through machine identity management and application infrastructure security and orchestration. Learn more at appviewx.com. Modern application development needs modern application security. With our award winning application security testing solutions, Checkmarks enables developers to securely accelerate their work.
0: Learn more at checkmarks.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high-net-worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impact of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io.
1: CrowdSec, the collaborative and open-source cybersecurity solution. Analyze behaviors, respond to attacks, and share signals across the community for free let's make the internet safer together. Learn more at crowdsec.net. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HighTrustAlliance.net. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, share ITSP Magazine with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our columns. Thank you for listening.